This is episode 267. People often joke or ask me, how do you, a man, work in the space of emotional eating and talking about feelings and helping people heal themselves emotionally and get them to change their mindset and their way of thinking? People wonder if I'm gay or just think that maybe I'm really feminine. And so on this episode, I want to let you know how I got here because I'm not someone that read a few self-help books or went to a seminar and simply regurgitated the information. There are actually a lot of life coaches and health coaches that slot into that category. But for me, I have personally been in the arena for a lot of my life, in the arena of causing, creating, and being victim to serious levels of trauma. And whilst I'm not burdened by the trauma of my past anymore, because I actually did the work, and it took many years, and it was significant. And so on this episode, I want to share a bit of that story. It's also important for me to ask you to please reserve judgment on anyone and anything I talk about in this episode because no one is perfect and we're all doing much better now. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Welcome back to another episode of the show, which I'm putting together after, well, just lots and lots of conversations over the years because it's it's an interesting world that I'm in as a male, as a man, which is speaking to mostly women, but lots of people, but mostly women about emotions. And I've been asked so many times, like, you're a man. Why do you help women with emotional eating? Like, what could you possibly know? You know, is the implication as a man? You know, what, what could you know about emotional eating? That's a that's a woman's problem. Um, and so, what I wanted to do is put together a bit of a podcast, sharing a little bit of my story, um, because often I don't share it publicly, and there's a reason for that, and I'll get into that. Um, but I'm going to share some parts of my story to give you some context about who I am. And how I came to be here working in this space. And uh, there's, there's many factors that play into this. But it will make sense as to why in 2023, it's my mission to coach 500 people to stop the binge eating and savage self-talk cycle so they can lose weight whilst feeling in control and without restriction along the way. And you might wonder, did Maddie once upon a time have a weight issue? You know, and did once upon a time he have some kind of health issue? And the truth is I've been pretty lucky. I've been pretty lucky in my life when it comes to health. Um, And I I haven't really had any sicknesses. I did have some gut health stuff um, when I was around 2021. And that was a little bit scary. Um, And and I'll get to that as well. So what I want to do, I'm going to share this story with you, at least some of it. And now there's some really important disclaimers that I want to put into this uh, in the beginning. And it's that the reason that I have not shared any of this information publicly in detail is because the people involved in this, including myself, are humans that are going on a dynamic journey of the life experience that we all are having, which is uniquely our own. And what that means is that people make mistakes and people get things wrong. And people are affected by the experience that they've had, negative or positive, right? And people are traumatized and people are hurt and people are 
not knowing what to do with their emotions. They're not taught how to be emotional. They're not taught what to do with thoughts and feelings as dark as they might be. And so what I'm saying here is it's a bit of a disclaimer that, you know, everybody that I might mention or talk about or allude to are humans just like you and they've fucked up just like you have. And to reserve your judgment and instead look within to understand where you can see this part of yourself that relates to this story because we've all got a darkness, right? We've all got a darkness. And so I I have heard so many times uh, people refer to me as a rich kid from the suburbs and trust me, don't let the haircut fool you. (laughs) So just because I'm well-spoken and able to communicate stuff and I've got a, you know, a little podcast that's really a big podcast now, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up as a rich kid from the suburbs. I grew up in the countryside in a very blue-collar working family with mum and dad, you know, working full-time my whole life, basically. Um, or mum was part-time for periods of time. Uh, but, yeah, and they, were, they would work a lot. My sister and I got an incredible work ethic from my parents because they were very hard workers. Um, you know, in the what I was, uh, I guess, in the '90s, a lot of my memories are coming from, and they they worked so much, so hard uh, to make things happen. And so, when I was uh, when I was much younger, the I guess I was a, a curious little kid that was pretty similar to how I am now. I think, and what I mean by that is that I was bubbly, fun chatty, interested, curious. And I was lucky enough to be in an environment where that was cultivated, um, right? And so the reason that I then later came to experience a situation that involved emotional eating or became literate in emotional eating is because that when I was in my early 20s, I uh, began dating a beautiful woman uh, that I was with for nine or 10 years. And you've probably heard me reference her a few times. And she's an incredible part of this journey that um, that has created this podcast and um, this you know business and what I'm doing with my life now for, for two reasons. Because one, she had some seriously chronic health issues of which I watched her and supported her go from a you know, extremely Western medical approach. And she had tried many things before I met her, veganism and different things, and then watched her ex- further explore as I kind of researched, you know, alternative medicines, alternative therapies, mindset changes, ideas that thoughts create disease, all this kind of stuff. And so she made herself considerably better by taking responsibility for her own health. Um, and in the time that I knew her, had nine surgeries. Um, it was, you know, every month was in chronic pain. You know, we're talking endometriosis, adenomyosis, lupus, like a range of things that she she suffered through. So that was one part of why she, why she was a really important part of this journey because I went on my own journey at the cancer hospital of learning about cancer and being a bit perplexed as to how the medical establishment managed and approached cancer. But equally, I had uh, her at home uh, you know, and going through this health journey and introducing me to all of these ideas. And this was also the space that I got to understand periods and menstruation and and the whole cycle and all of the different female hormones. This is why I understand them so deeply for a man. It's because I was th- that curious kid watching this happen. But the other thing is that's really important about why this woman was so important in my life uh, is that in our, I, I was a very chaotic partner throughout my 20s, you know, for that nine years. Uh, well, not for the nine years. That's I need to 
I, I did a lot of work on myself um, to be a really good partner by about year six. I'd just done a shitload of damage by that point. But the point is that I was a chaotic partner. I was a real mess. I broke every rule in a relationship that you could. Um, and the I didn't really know what was going. I just thought, I'm Maddie Lansdowne. I'm extra. You know, I was a drummer. I was doing a lot of touring and gigging at the time. And I just thought, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm a rock star. I've got a rock star personality. And this was what I honestly believed because I just thought I was just a bit of a shit person. Like I just couldn't keep things under wraps. I couldn't, you know, not follow my urges. And I never got into drugs um, or alcohol. I've never been drawn to that. I didn't grow up around people that use those tools. And so I just never felt that way. Um, so I just followed my impulses. And sure, you could say, oh, Maddie, you're just a young man in your 20s, testosterone driven. And sure, you could say that. You could say that. That's one, that's one perspective. But the other thing is that at some point in the beginning phases of this relationship um, where I was just, you know, being the typical non-committal, I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out um, type thing, you know, and really getting to know one another super well and clearly connecting with this person on a very deep level was that at some point, you know, sharing stories about our life and different things. And eventually, eventually it was said, um, she said to me, she's like, Maddie, you know, I don't think your childhood was that normal. And I sort of thought, oh, what do you mean? You know? Um, and it was the, the reality was and I didn't know this at all. Um, but the reality was that she said, you know, it sounds like your childhood was hyper violent. And I was like, oh, was it? It's just discipline, you know? Kids these days, you've got to whack them into line. And so she exposed me to this idea that my childhood was violent, which didn't make much sense to me. It didn't make much sense to me at the time because I thought, you know, I had it pretty good. I thought everything wasn't too bad. Um, however, I was this extremely chaotic adult. And if you were my friend, you would probably think of me as I am now. It's only in intimate relationships that I was an absolute fuck show. And so I loved this woman a lot, incredibly, incredibly. And so the reason that I ended up here is because in the very beginning, in my early 20s, I wanted to change. I wanted to be good enough to keep her around. And, but I couldn't control my impulses and my chaos. And so I went to my first therapist after lots of DMs with her before I went to therapy. Cause in, you know, in the beginning, I was like a young man going to a shrink. You know, I had that belief system too. And, um, and I began the journey. And fundamentally, the journey was I have a woman in front of me that is marriage material, that is fantastic, that is incredibly attractive. Um, but more importantly, has the soul of an angel. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here if she wasn't in my life. And so I went to my first therapy session. Um, and, and the other thing to mention is that remembering that we're all human and we all make mistakes and that most people, when you, uh, you know, you say that you were exposed to violence, most people will assume there was a man involved and that wasn't the case for me which is pretty surprising for most people, right? And the important thing to say is that, you know, all of the people that I grew up around are changed people, are very different people. But at the time, the chaos within them was not able to be controlled. And so 
that resulted in an environment where I, and not just me, but I can only speak for myself here, were exposed to abnormal levels of intense discipline, let's, let's say, because that's what I understood it to be as, as a child. I was told this was happening because I was wrong or bad or, you know, whatever the thing I was. And, and I don't want to go into that too much. And, you know, it's extremely important to understand that all of the people in my life have changed, have leveled up, have improved, and have learnt in some way to begin getting control of that chaos. And that's where this story really, the rubber really hits the road for me because along this journey in my early 20s, uh, I was going to therapy. I started to look into self-help and and all of these things, not because I felt suicidal or depressed. I just wanted to be able to be a reliable, faithful, emotionally supportive partner for the woman who was doing all of that for me and that I felt such a deep connection and bond to. And so I went hard. I went hard on this stuff. You know, you know me. I mean, if you listen to this podcast, you know me. I go all in. I go all in. Um, and I really commit to things on a day-to-day basis. And some days I, I'm all out. <laughs> and some days that happens. But so this is, you know, I spent a good 10 years, I guess, and still am. You know, I still see my psychologist Except in that journey, a lot of things changed. And what I realized is that, sure, I didn't go towards alcohol and drugs, but what I did go towards was sugar. And I didn't know this at the time. I just used the excuse that I'm a man that goes to the gym and I'm hungry all the time. And none of the Lansdowne men in my family really gain weight. They're, you know, they're all stick thin. And so I just thought, yeah, was, you know, we're just men. You know? And often parents will use that excuse for their children eating so much. Oh, they're just growing boys. If you give anybody bloody cornflakes, they'll look like they're a growing boy because it doesn't satiate you. Anyway, um, so a lot of parents say this for their kids. A lot of adult men say this. A lot of people say this, that, you know, I'm just, I'm just a big eater. I'm just hard to fill up. You're just eating shit. You're just not eating correctly. And this was me. So I was using that excuse. And, and at, along this journey at some point, it became apparent to me after the maybe 100th time of having a fight with my partner and we I was like we were doing the makeup phase thing and just we ordered pizza I drove to the supermarket and got some Allen's lollies I got some cookies and chocolate and like the whole lot like a whole stack um and at some point during the you know, being all the way through the pizza and eating three more pieces than my body needed and then going to, you know, the chocolate and then basically finishing everything off and lying there in a couch. At some point I realized, oh, I do this every time chaos comes out. I do it to use it as a tool to put the chaos back in, to stop me, right? to stop me from the bullshit coming out. And in the early days, I didn't know what the bullshit was, right? I didn't know what the bullshit was. Um, And at this point, I'm starting to piece together what the bullshit is, what the chaos is. And if we go back to the, the earlier part of my life, you know, all the way up until I was about 16 and the physical experiences that I had and what I was exposed to, not from men, but from women, what was coming out of me was that I was around the, the loving relationship that I had in my life with a woman was peaceful, calm, and stable. 
And that was not my conditioning. My conditioning for the important women in my life was chaos, violence, intensity, being not good enough, and performance. And so every time things got too stable and calm, I felt like a stranger. I I was like, what the fuck is this? This is a mediocre relationship. I don't want to be a boring, mediocre person that just gets up and goes to work and comes home to the same woman every single day. I'm a rock star. I'm a drummer. I want to fucking live my life. And at some point it clicked. At some point it clicked that I literally flipped the proverbial table in this relationship every time it feels calm and stable for too long because I'm used to being given love along with my space being violated. And sure, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a daily thing growing up. It wasn't that, that, it wasn't that crazy. But the point was that at some point, little Maddie latched on to the idea that love and chaos come together from women. And so once this clicked, it was like, more chaos came out of me. <laughs> it got worse. It got so much worse because I felt so betrayed and I felt so fucking angry and I felt so livid. And so the sugar consumption got worse. The food consumption got worse. I was working at a nutritional epigenetics company, uh, you know, and with elite athletes and corporate dietitians, and really, you know, everybody looked super attractive because they looked after themselves and they were incredibly healthy. And I would be eating KFC and pizza and running off to get Krispy Kreme donuts on my lunch break and stuff them in my face. Because every time an emotion came up, remember, I'm not emotionally literate at this part of the story. And so every time an emotion comes up, we need to stuff it down. We need to stuff it down. And and I didn't know this. I was on autopilot. I did not know this. And so every time the feelings came up, every time I was left alone by myself, it would be smash sugar. And then as I went further along, you know, you hear the jokes like, oh, everybody's addicted to sugar. I just thought I was a sugar addict. I just thought, oh, I'm addicted to sugar, which, you know, is partially true because because sugar is a legitimate substance that, uh, you know, people are addicted to. And so as I'm going along this journey, I start to discover how to use my words how to re- how to physically and emotionally connect those words to my identity to my soul to my actual feelings and how to get the chaos out of me in an ordered structured manner and this took 7 years 7 years of, of making some grave errors now the interesting thing is um that i i never grew up to be violent it, like you know i got in a few fights at school like all kids do all boys do um and you know i like hyper competitive sport <laughs> that's a part of me that exists so picture this right unlocking your potential conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. 
Oh, and also, as a special gift, you received my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Um, But I just grew up to be fundamentally self-protective. All the damage that I ever caused um, to other people, and 99% of that is intimate relationships with women, all the damage I caused was me protecting myself because I was, you know, and it's hard to admit the man, the man, masculine, strong lion part of me finds it hard to say I was a scared little boy. I was a scared little boy of being hurt again. And that was the truth. It took me a long time to get to that truth. And on that journey, you know, I really put some people through the ringer as well. Some of the people that I felt were responsible and were the perpetrators of this story. But the important part to to note is that along my journey, other people were going on their journey. And at some point... I was able to turn this, all of this into my new identity. I am a person that is emotionally mature. I am a person that understands my chaos intimately and know, I know how it shows up. And so whenever I'm sitting down on a date with somebody new, because unfortunately my relationship with that previous woman, as much as I did everything I could to be the right person, when I finally was the right person at about year six or seven, somewhere in there, um, the damage was done. It was, or, it was already smashed into a million pieces and that became a really emotionally difficult breakup which happened slowly through lockdowns as well because I had changed my identity into what I thought was a good man and the punishment for that or what felt like the punishment, the reward for that was the relationship that you built this within is now over. And so now anytime I'm on a date with anybody uh, and, you know, we get, we're on a couple of dates in or we're, we're getting to know each other, I'm honest about all of this. I'm, I, I, I think the way that somebody talks about their ex-partner is incredibly reflective of, of who they are. And so I sat down, I sit down with these people and I say, hey, you know, in a pretty casual way, I'm like, you know, th- this is who I used to be and this is how I figured it out and this is how I got through it. And um, I don't think you could find somebody that I've... <laughs> been in that space with sense that would argue that I'm now a pretty together person and very emotionally aware and 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 able to to manage myself in a really healthy way. Does it mean I slip up? No, I'm a human. I make mistakes. I say shit I shouldn't have said. You know, I sometimes don't use the tools that I know are available to me, you know, like I don't do my journaling or I you know, maybe I do end up in some sugar from time to time. And so Along this journey, like everybody in my family has come with me. Maybe not to the same extent, and maybe it doesn't look like how my journey looked, but everybody has leveled up. Everybody has changed. Everybody has gone through their own stuff, and they might not be where they want to be, and that's okay. 
But the important thing is that I want you to understand um, is something that it took me a while to understand. And that's that everybody has this chaos in them and we're all doing the best we can at the time. And that's not how I felt in the beginning. I just felt fucking angry that the people that should have protected me did not. And that that was an absolute failing. I no longer see it that way. I no longer see it that way. I see it as if that's the best that was being delivered at the time, then holy shit, imagine what was going on in their head. Imagine the environment that they were raised in. And I know the answers to some of those questions now. And and so I come from a place of empathy and sympathy is that shit, it's like, and, and I feel the same for anybody that I meet now. I'm, you know, there's no judgment towards anyone. If somebody says to me, Maddie, I've cheated on my husband. Or if somebody says to me, Maddie, I've done this awful thing to my kid. Or if somebody says this really terrible situation has happened because of me. My instant thought is, oh my God, like that was the best thing you could have done in that moment. Like shit, there must be some chaos in there that's trying to get out. And it's in all of us. And if anybody listens to this story and has any ounce of judgment for anybody, any of the characters in that story, then you just haven't done enough work to realize that all of that chaos exists within you. We can all see ourselves in one another because we're all human and we've all hurt people and we've all crossed the line, maybe to different extents, but also people have different measurements of what crossing the line means, right? And so along this journey, at some point, I got incredibly deep into emotional eating, myself physically, but also understanding the logistics of it, how it works, how it, how it interplays with sugar addiction, how it interplays with our connection with ourselves, our identity, our reality, our social circle, uh, the people we hang out with, the way we manage problems in an intimate relationship. If what you do to manage your intimate relationship after it's got problems is grab a glass of wine together, there's a problem there. There's a problem there. Sure, I think it's very important to have rituals, but if those rituals are in some way destructive, if getting out of chaos requires more chaos, and what I mean by that is sugar is not a health food, right? So adding inflammation to your body to solve an inflammatory, stressful interaction you've just had is not the right way to go. And so if you're doing that, there's some chaos that needs some management and it requires years of work. And that's why everybody that inquires about my programs, I'm honest. I'm like, we're going to do some intensive work for a short period of time, but this is going to take years to integrate. And, and it does. It does. And for me, you know, my experience as a child and a teenager, I was lucky in the sense that I was just born a happy, funny, cheeky kid. And this, this kind of, you know, upbringing, it really brought out the rebel in me. You know, I'm the guy that likes to push boundaries. I'm always looking for the reason why that person's wrong uh, and, and whether irrelevant of the side of the conversation they're in. But equally... There was a lot of really positive things that I got from the women and the men in my life growing up. Like, how could I have become this person if my parents weren't fucking fantastic, right? How is the platform created for somebody to be smart, communicable, nice, emotionally aware, developed? And you might think, oh, Maddie, you're a bit arrogant right now. From where I started, 
All those things are true. Do I have a long way to go? Well, I don't think the journey ever has a finish line for any of us. And some people might say, you know, and my psych has said this before, whom I still, still see. His name's Charles. He's a fucking legend. Been seeing him for five years. And he's often inquired, are you addicted to self-development? It's a good question. It's a good question. I don't think I am because I'm very comfortable within it with who I am. I do think there's benefit with never getting off this bandwagon. Um, and I'm not someone that settles easily. Um, but also I had to, you know, I've had to redefine uh, my relationship with the idea of settling, you know, a younger version of myself. And, and this, is, this language is evidence that somebody usually has changed is they, they talk about younger parts of themselves or younger versions of themselves or when they, they communicate emotions, they talk about the parts and it's called parts work. And I share this with a lot of my clients as well. But there's a younger version of me that absolutely is addicted to, you know, personal development that just wants to be better and, you know, the best possible person. I want to walk into a room and everybody's just like, Matty Lansdowne, you're the best. Like, and me be like, fuck yeah, I'm the best. Everybody loves me. Um, But the reality is after I realized I was trying so hard to not be mediocre, I realized so many people do love me. My life is interesting. And that's because I was raised by parents that gave me the confidence and the courage to go out there and have a crack at things and back myself. Do I have limiting beliefs and voices in my head? Absolutely. I mean, there's, you know, thousands and hundreds and millions of people that are ahead of me that I'm, you know, have moments of envy of and think, oh, I wish I could be that strong or I wish I could think like that or I wish I could have these thoughts. And so this was my journey. At least this was part of it. This, this was the, the Coles notes, as they might say, um, or the cliff notes, you know. And I wanted to share it with you because, I mean, I share a much more detailed, interesting version of this story with clients when, when, cli- when it's right, when it's right, when clients are struggling to piece their story together or understand what their story means. I share this journey. Um, with a lot more detail because it's in private. And I really want to say as well that the reason I have felt scared to talk about this publicly because people are confused why, you know, a man in his 30s helps, you know, people in their 40s, 50s and 60s and mostly women to work on this stuff. It's like, Maddie, how could you possibly know? Like I listen to your podcasts and you seem to know what you're talking about, but, but how on a core level do you know? And this is how I know. This is how I know, you know. Um, and the skills that I got from my dad, you know, uh, allow me to enter this space because my dad is a beautiful human. And the skills that I got from my mum allow me to do things like this podcast. You know, my mum's a fantastic communicator. She's able to talk in depth. She's confident. She backs herself. She does what's necessary. You know, she's a bit of a tiger mum to some degree, which is awesome because it gave me the skills to push myself. And my dad is, you know, a, a ball of hilarious comedic love you know he's just such a loving person and just so kind and they're very much you know dad's introverted mum's extroverted um uh, and then there's my sister and there's a whole story around that as well one in which you know I have to I, I worked a lot through therapy to feel less guilty about because um I put her through hell and she was already going through a hell that was worse than mine and so you know, I have a lot of regret for the relationship that we now have because I've, yeah, I, I wish it was different. I wish my family was closer. I wish I was closer with my sister and I'm not. And that's, 
the reality of her trauma journey and her struggles because I'm a part of the chaos, you know, or I was a contributor to the chaos that she experienced, which from where I stood, you know, was far worse than mine. And I, you know, a, a lot, a lot in me has done work with therapists and different types of, uh, you know, um, sort of healing modalities uh, where I've reflected on our relationship and the experience she had and how I feel guilty and all the things I could have done. And she's also doing, you know, she's doing the best she can, just like I'm doing the best I can right now. And and she's got so much amazingness going on. She's a head chef, you know, and she's got a herb and spice business called Megla Chef. Um, you know, she basically runs a whole town. <laughs> like, you know, the work ethic that my parents put into us was, um, you know, bordering on savage. <laughs> I mean, there's still plenty of people that work harder than me, but um, but you get the point. You get the point. I'm not just a rich kid from the suburbs. I'm not someone that had lots of money and was able to read a, help us, a load of self-help books and regurgitate that on a podcast. I've walked through the fire so painfully, so painfully. I've had suicidal thoughts. I've had extremely explosive outbursts where I've hurt myself, not in a suicidal way, but just being a crazy person, you know, releasing the chaos, the chaos driving me. And this is the reason that, you know, I wanted to become a healthy person and I wanted all of my friends to be healthy. This is where the what's up my healthy friends idea comes from is because when you're amongst a group of healthy friends and everybody's got control of their chaos and you don't always have control of your chaos, but if you can get control of it 80 to 90% of the time, you are going to have a very fulfilling life. But if you're in a group of friends like that, you're going to have some really meaningful experiences, some really meaningful connections. You're going to create a relationship and a family that you're proud to be in that doesn't perpetuate the cycle of trauma or violence, which is absolutely my goal. And and I mean, you could open a conversation. Does that mean that I think physical punishment is totally bad? I went through a phase where I thought I would never hit my kids. Now, I think it's a tool that parents use and I don't know what I would do. I don't know what I would do. I don't think I would use it very often. But my point is, I think I look at everything as fluid. I don't judge anything. I see everything as an experience or a tool to be used, to be leveraged, to be, to be gone through, to get the lessons, to collect the information that your soul, your heart, your identity needs to move to the next step. And so I know this story has probably jumped all over the place uh, a little bit because I'm just talking, trying to leave out parts and trying the right parts and put in the right parts and just give you enough information that it makes sense without, you know, um, exposing or embarrassing people in my life because they're all beautiful and I love them all. And, and I'm grateful for everything that I experienced, uh, literally. And I know that sounds like one of those throwaway lines, but at this point I am, I was, I before, no, I was fucking angry. Like, ugh angry to the point that I refused to go home for Easter and Christmas and, and, and events for a while until I was heard, until I was understood, until, you know, the truth was out there. But the important thing about the truth is to remember your truth is not everybody else's truth. And so I know that 
this truth, quote unquote truth that I experienced and let out in my 20s might not have been what actually happened. It just happens to be the version of events that I remember. Other people that were in those experiences probably had a very, very, very different experience. And so that's also showing mature awareness and something that I would invite you to do too when you think about your own trauma is that everybody involved in that trauma had a different experience. They were there for different reasons. The execution of whatever happened was for a different reason than yours. And sure, we, should, should, we shouldn't necessarily give sympathy to the perpetrator. We need to own that we had a horrible experience. But, but in order for us to move past it, we need to see the human in them that made a mistake as the human in us exists that has made mistakes. And at that point of relation to being able to relate and understand and be like, I get how you got there. And me being a chaotic boyfriend, breaking every fucking rule in the book, which I'm not proud of at all. It's like I have so much regret for that, but it's only a part of me that regrets it because if I let all of me regret it, I'll end up in a sugar coma for the next 20 years. I have to put that part of me to the side and thank it for the lessons that it's given me for all future relationships. And so far, I'm very proud of how I've done all future relationships. Uh, and I think if we got anybody on here to have a conversation about that, I, I'm very confident that they would, um, they would back me on that. So thank you for listening. Please understand this is a very personal thing to share. I was going to say vulnerable, but the truth is I'm in a room by myself. Vulnerable is sitting in front of the person. Using social media and podcasts to release your story is, it's not very vulnerable. It's personal, but it's not vulnerable because vulnerable is sitting in front of the person. Vulnerable is saying the things to someone that you know is going to hurt them. In a healing capacity, I should say, not just saying, hey, fuck you for no reason. <laughs> you know, it's sitting there breaking up with the person. It's sitting there saying, what you're doing to me is not good enough. It's being in the room. It's being in front of them on a video call. That is vulnerability. I feel nervous sharing this. I'm, I'm, I, I'm a little bit concerned that there might be consequences. Um, but I've been asked too many times why a young man helps women with this stuff and people humorously thinking I'm a rich kid from the suburbs. And I'm not offended by that. I think it's hilarious. I love that my haircut looks good enough to be a rich kid from the suburbs. <laughs> but I wanted you to know that this journey for me has been very real and very painful and that I did the work. And I'm very proud of the man that I have become because I was not a man until I was about 30. I was just a giant, blubbering, drunk baby that was scared of stable, healthy love because that's not the way that I was conditioned to understand what love meant. And that journey took seven years to get to the other side of. And it will always be a part of me, no longer an active part, but it'll always be a part of me. And as long as I remember that, I'll always be able to continue showing up as the person I want to be rather than the person that I was. And so if you've enjoyed this story or this episode, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your shares. I'd love to hear what you think on social media. I'd love you to share this episode. Um, if this resonates with you, then please let me know. I appreciate you being here and allowing me to to speak about this in this way with you, just like this sort of, I know that you're just listening, but this intimate conversation. 
So that's a part of my story. And that's why I'm an emotional eating coach. Because I think a lot of the world's health issues exist because the trauma that we experienced led to us using sugar and food as a drug to suppress the chaos. And unfortunately for many, it's created more just in the realm of health. So that's why I hang out in that space. All right. I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.